All right, so we're back. Episode 11, dude. Got a good old Joseph McNamara. Ooh, I used your full name. What are you going to do? You sound like my mom. Do I? That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing, dude? Excited, man. Thanks for having me on. Right on. Right on. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. I'm just kidding. So I wanted you to come on because, uh, I don't know, you're one of those, like, well-kept-together people, it seems, you know? You seem like you'd be a good, good, good person to talk to. I, I feel like he's a good person to talk to because you feel like he's well put together. So there's some sort of illusion there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I know you're not. I'm just barely together. hanging yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. No, we all are. Don't worry. You just uh, you just graduated and you're going to get your master's, right? Uh, yes, I will be getting my master's in the fall. Master's in social work. Social work. How long does that take? I don't. I'm not uh, I mean, it, you can do it in two years, but like, I don't know. Working full time and stuff, I might. It, it'll probably take me longer than that. Okay, is that with four years already? Right. I mean, <laughs> not really. It was mu- it was much more than four years. Oh, okay. My okay. my drug addiction kind of took off my first go around in college. So I did four years, but didn't graduate. And then when I got sober this go around, I went back to school like a year and a half of sobriety or something like that. And it took me two years and I just graduated in April. So six years cumulatively. Nice. So you had credits carry over, obviously. Then, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't fail everything. How, how long was the, the gap between like when you left college and then when you came back? So I, I dropped out when I was like 21 or 22 my senior year and then I went back when I was 31 so pretty so pretty much 10 years yeah solid a solid decade oh fuck that's gonna have to stop sorry about that not very professional, but uh, I guess. What I, but I guess you what want to I talk expect. about professional. Look where the fuck we're at? <laughs> we need not ever be organized. Yeah. That's my fucking motto for life. <laughs> was there was there a big difference? You know what I mean? Not just in your mindset, but in like the culture of like college in between that ten years, or was it just kind of more of the same? I mean, I don't know how much a part of the culture I was either go around. I went to a. A, su- a private school, Southern Methodist University, my first go around, which like, it was close to home, which was why I did it. Right. Like I could live at home and still hang out with like my same scumbag friends. So like, I never really like felt a part of like, I've, I mean, like the most interaction that I had was like, I sold drugs to like a lot of frat boys and stuff, you know? And then this go around, like I knew I didn't want to have anything to do with the culture. Right. Like the most I dipped my toes in was, uh, I played hockey my second year. Like, I played on the their Division Two team or whatever. Yeah. So, like, I kind of had to socialize to some extent to be, like, a part of the team. And it was mostly just, like, you know, cleaning up puke and driving kids to the hospital. <laughs> Designated driver, you know? Wow. So, it wasn't, like, that cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess it was, like, good service and stuff, but, like, mostly just, like, an inconvenience. <laughs> Fuck, yeah, I got you, bro. I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah, I had to pick up a kid from the hospital who, like, after the cop, the cops were trying to arrest him because he was, like, he's probably, like, 19 years old or 18 years old. I had to take him and talk. I had to talk to the cops, try and get him out of getting arrested. Should have just arrested his ass. Yeah, actually, it did. But, like, he was, like, being, like, combative with the nurses. Like, he was definitely, like, alcohol poisoned out the game. Nice. But, like, as far so like as far as, like, the partying and stuff goes, like, I think it's universal. It, 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 didn't seem, yeah. it didn't seem all that much different for me. You know, just, like, different environments, but, like, everybody seems like they're doing the same stuff, you know? Yeah, so there, so there wasn't much of a difference. I guess, like, for me personally, no, just because, like, I was tried to kind of do my own thing. Yeah. And, like, this go-around, like, I was pretty serious about getting it done and getting it done as quickly as I could, and... I, I learned pretty early on that, like, taking online classes was, like, much easier to work around my work schedule <laughs> yeah. and, like, just easier in general to get, like, good grades. Yeah. So I did that more often than not. So were you able to leverage that degree for some more pay or what, dude? 
I did actually just get a raise at my job. Nice. Nice. I did actually just get a raise at my job. (laughs) Hell yeah. Still Uh, probably getting paid less than what I should, but I got a raise, so. We all are. Yeah. We all are. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to capitalism. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I had a good question, and then I forgot it. Oh, you said that it's easier to take online classes for you, right? Why do you think that is? Because a lot of people, especially with COVID, you have people who are getting like straight A's and then when they switch to online courses and they're not getting good grades. Is that just like a lack of motivation to get stuff done because it's on your own time or? Uh, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but right. like it was always, it was much easier for me because it's, it's very straightforward. Yeah. You know, like even writing assignments where you're writing papers is like very straightforward and time manage and get everything in on time but like if you get everything in on time in college these days like you can't fail Mm. like it doesn't matter what you turn in like as long as you turn in something like it's almost impossible to fail well don't say that people try really hard (laughs) yeah i mean i guess that's true i I, school school was always easy for me it was like making myself do school that was always like the hard part yeah that was the rub for me i can relate to that yeah do you have any like aspirations for after you get your your masters or what's the, what's the what's the end game what's the plan I, I would like to be a therapist that's is to get licensed as like a clinical therapist so that's my I think that's my end game I mean obviously like I'm I'll t- you know like I it's funny because like school is like the thing that like drove me into my addiction. I feel like, like I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I had no aim, no motivation. I hopped from like 10 different majors. Yeah. And when I, and then like finally was just like, fuck it. And like, you know, burnt it all to the ground really quickly. And then like would rebuild and burn it to the ground again, you know? And like, I was stuck in that cycle for such a long time. Like this go around, like it's been really easy because um, like, I think I, like, as a, like, as a result of doing the recovery work, like, it's just like, you know, like I pray and like, I talk about it with people and then like the right thing just like seems to like emerge and like all I have to do is like put one foot in front of the other, you know? So like, I don't know what the future holds, but I have, I have some, I have a lot of really cool options today. I seem to find myself in that same kind of like cycle where I just want to burn everything down after a while. Yeah. I'm going through it right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Probably get a sponsor, dude. Yeah. Let's not talk about this. Is, this, isn't, <laughs> this isn't an AA podcast, all right? <laughs> uh, do you think that, uh, how, how do you balance like recovery work? Because a lot of people have trouble with that, right? Is like I've I've seen it multiple times at people who work where you work and people who work at other places. Yeah, it's like uh, it can be like soul sucking for, for a lot of different people. But you seem to handle it. This part. You want more well. recovery? <laughs> so, no, no, just time management. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the I guess for everybody that's listening that doesn't know, like I work at a, a, a program in town, like a recovery program in town, like it's an all-male program. I mean, it is, you're not wrong. Like you're working with people in early recovery. Like it's all they want to do is take from you. Like whether it's like physically take things from you or like emotionally take things from you. You know, like, they just, they're spiritual vampires because, like, they haven't, like, experienced any kind of, like, solution yet, you know? So, like, I don't do it perfectly, man. Like, I had a pretty rough patch there in quarantine where, like, I was not doing, like, probably the necessary work on my end to, like, maintain a level of, like, sanity. So, I don't know. (laughs) I honestly don't know. Like, I feel like that's uh, something bigger than me, right? Like, I've always worked with others. I think that helped, too. Like, I always had sponsees. Like, even when I didn't really have a sponsor and I wasn't really going to meetings, like, I always worked with my sponsees. And, like, I think those, like, little tiny patches of service, like, were able to kind of, like, bridge me through some some times where, like, I probably could have, it could have, things could have easily gone, like, bad for me. Right. I've noticed that, too. Is like, it seems to work for people who do who don't just do recovery work, but also have stuff that they do for themselves. Yeah. And that's like, you have things that are just yours that don't involve work. Right. And then that's kind of like what keeps you balanced, I guess. It's hard to keep boundaries with work, especially because like, you know, I I don't think I have particularly like high self-esteem, you know, like I have a pretty 
I have like 20 years of experiencing failure after failure after failure. And like to a certain extent, like I think a lot of recovery places know that, or at least they're going to, they're a business. So they're going to keep, you know, pushing employees to like absolutely maximize their output and like being comfortable just being like, I'm fried. Like I can't, I can't do what you're asking right now. <laughs> Cause I've definitely had to do that before. Yeah, but failure is not always a bad thing. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. You're doing something right. Yeah. Even through the failure. What was it like working for the, the, I'm trying to think of the term without like blowing them up, the men's rehab, like through like all of quarantine was that? It was rough. Like that. That generation of clients, I feel so, I feel so bad for anybody trying to get, that was trying to get sober during quarantine. Like I was hearing things from like my friends that work at drug court. Yeah. I was hearing things from like the judicial people that work within the Flagstaff judicial system. Like there was all the tre- nowhere to go for them. All the treatment entities. It's like hard to recreate the same thing that people can get from a meeting, like via Zoom or telephonically. I, yeah. I mean, the, the guy, like, cause like that's, I mean, I know like there are a lot of different things that work for like a lot of different people, but like 12 steps is kind of the only thing that's ever worked for me. And I think it works, it works for a lot of people. Yeah. And like, there just wasn't, there wasn't access to it. Yeah. I mean, fuck, when I first came into the rooms, like a hug and a smile was like, yeah, almost like polarizing, yeah. you know, and, and that's. Like, that love is probably what made me stick around, you know, and they, they didn't have access to, like, any of that. It was like, here's a here's a, here's a Zoom schedule, you know, have or fun. Like, can you imagine, like, meeting with your sponsor over the phone and, like, trying to do, like, four and five over the phone? You know, like, what that experience would be like? Like, I, so I, I chalk it up to that because, like, yeah, I think... Uh, too much downtime because like no one's working and that included a lot of the people that I worked with in the treatment center like none of them were working a lot of fucking time to kill like not at no access to like fellowship or service or like uh meetings like any of that stuff so like uh it was a it was a tough year to work in because I think it, it was tremendously hard for everybody yeah we made it through, though. <laughs> yeah, made true. it through, dude. Things are starting to open back up again. Is COVID a real thing anymore? I don't know. It's done, dude. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's done. COVID's Who's wearing a mask here. anyways? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely noticed that in my own recovery is that, like, I, it's, it's funny how much I took meetings for granted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, at, it, right up to leading to COVID, it was like, uh, going to meetings was a chore, you know what yeah. I mean? I didn't really want to go, but I still went and like, I never really, like, I felt like I wasn't getting anything out of them. And as soon as my choice was like taken away, you know what I mean? Like I, fu- I felt it. I was like hosting zoom meetings where only like two people would show up, you know, and, or like some people wouldn't show up at all yeah. for months, you know what I yeah. mean? And it, that was like draining. It's like, this isn't what a recovery is about for me. You know, it's about having a community of people that help that understand and help you get through things. And that community, like I still, I'm, I'm lucky. I have friends, right. That are in recovery yeah. that I like, there was a bunch of war zone during quarantine yeah. that we all played and like that helped, you know, but, um, I, so I get why it's really rough for those people who don't have a community who are just here for treatment and they can't see what it's actually like when things are normal. Yeah, so. no, I mean, why would you want to be, like, buy into it, you know? Yeah. Unless you had those things. Because, like, I think you do make a good point. I guess that's in something else that probably helped throughout quarantine because, like, my memory and focus is, like, not very good anymore. Like, I think I, I punched all my, my fun tickets there, <laughs> so to speak. So, like... Zoom meetings were really hard for me because, like, I tried in the beginning, but, like, doing it at home, in bed, like, you know, like, there's a TV going on in the background, I have my phone in my hand and don't feel judged or bad about being on it, like, I didn't hear fucking shit, so I I just, like, stopped doing them after a while and, like, didn't do meetings for, like, months, really. That was, uh, yeah, but I mean, I had, I already had like the community, right? Like I live with other addicts in recovery. Like I have this wide community here in Flagstaff of like people that I call, that I speak to on a daily basis that are all 
sober and like going through similar things. And I think that that probably helped a lot too. Yeah, it definitely helped me because those first that first like month of like no meetings, like I I felt it. I just did not feel okay. Um, so, um, but we we keep moving forward, I guess, and here we are now. So there's plenty of in person meetings now. Yeah, yeah. I kind of had a really different experience. Go ahead. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Tell me about it. I, just, that, yeah. I mean, I, well, I didn't work for like three weeks and then it was like, oh, there's no meeting. So like, I didn't have to like have anybody guilt trip me into go to a meeting. <laughs> you know, That's the most self-serving. I'm sick. What do you want from me? <laughs> You're truly a miracle. <laughs> you like that you are sitting here in front of me today is a truly miraculous thing. That is something larger than you carrying you through yeah. your own experience. And he doesn't even know it. Sure. Yeah. I pray constantly, okay? I don't know what I pray to, but I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just it was it was different for me, I guess. I did like two Zoom meetings, and I didn't ever, you know, I was like, "Fuck this." Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I would get the. I think literally there was like a six month stretch where like I only went to like one, and that was because like somebody asked me to speak at like a speaker meeting, and even then it was like three people showed up, and I was like, done in twenty minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what uh, I mean, normally the turnover rate is uh already pretty bad for like your line of work was it mm-hmm. worse i assume it was worse the turnover rate actually wasn't bad the success rate was really bad like we were able to keep like i think everyone was so scared like families and stuff they're like we're not gonna move our kids like in quarantine like even if he left like what the hell is he gonna do you know yeah so like we were able to keep the same like 15 guys in through the whole year but like uh, you know, like maybe two of them stayed sober, Rock. which I guess like isn't terrible by like the national average because the national average is terrible. Yeah, it's, it's like le- like less than three percent. Is it now? Yeah. See, I always thought it was like five to seven percent. No. Yeah. It's way less than that, and like you all, I always question like how accurate those statistics are because right. there's no like. How do, how do you how do you how do you measure how do you measure how do you yeah. measure success right. how do you keep in contact with people right. uh, what is what is the measure of sex, success is it the first two years is it the first four years right like, yeah you and know I so I'm not speaking for me but what I've seen is like this uh, like it doesn't not everybody has to follow like a twelve step program to like change and better their lives mm-hmm. sure you know I mean. I know some guys that, like, stopped doing heroin and, like, you know, they still drink and stuff, but, like, their lives are, like, exponentially better than they were. And I'm sure I'm... How good your life can be when you just stop doing heroin. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, this, the gift of this program is only, like, it's not... I don't want to be exclusive, but, you know, it's it's really only for the people that do it, you know? I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat. I know I've seen other things work for other people, but like how how happy are those people? You know, like that stuff used yeah. to really yeah. mess with me when I have I have had like the the one or two friends from my life that like used with me, used like I did, and were at one point like able to p- stop doing the stuff that we were doing and like still like drink and yeah. like holding down jobs and like. And we, we probably only see the good part of it, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We don't know how they are internally or yeah. what's going on. But I'm all, I'm, all, I'm in the same boat, though. Like, I'm kind of jaded because I only have the ex- my own experience of, like, what's yeah. worked for me. Wow. Real professional, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a guest. I just came here to talk shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my brother, um, both of them are pretty much normies. You know what yeah. I mean? I think my youngest brother... Has done like speed like once, you know what I mean? And then he's put it down and he doesn't even drink, he just smokes weed. And like my other brother, he'll have like a couple shots and be good for a night, you know what I mean? I'm like, I can't enjoy that stuff like they can, you know? Um, no. But I don't, I don't really want to anymore either, is the thing. Yeah. Uh, one of my other friends who just got out of prison, he like has managed and he did the same exact same shit we all did. And he can drink and like smoke weed. And he's, he's doing fine so far, but I was just talking to him. He's like, yeah, I, I blacked out at the bar and uh, ended up, like, making two girls cry. You know what I mean? And, like, that's what 
normal looks like, you know what I mean, to people who can do that, I feel like, and I can't do that, you know, so. But is that normal, though? Yeah. I mean, plenty of people black out and still maintain lives. I can't, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, yeah. I, I know people, I know college students who, like, would drink on weekends, black out, or more than that, and still, like, get a 3.5 GPA and, like, go to their internship and go to work and function, right? And so I feel like maybe that's just a culture thing, but, um... I don't know. Yeah, that's socially acceptable, dude. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, I play. I I play. So like I like I said, I was playing. I played hockey last, not last year, the year before. We didn't have a season last year, and like some of those guys, you know, might may or may not be, you know, <laughs> have a seat, have a seat in our room one day. But like for the, for now, you know, like I think it is culturally acceptable and they are at least like holding it together. They're not getting kicked out of school. Right. You yeah. Know? So, and I can do that, right? Like I would black yeah. out and like just not go to school, you yeah. know, and I couldn't do shit. So, yeah. More power to them, you know. I have a hard enough time waking up and going to work without drugs or alcohol. <laughs> I heard someone say in a meeting the other night, I was like, uh, alcoholism or addiction or whatever you want to, whatever you choose to call it. It's the only disease that when treated leaves the subject in better condition than when they first started mm. as if, or like, as if they never had it. And like, that's kind of why I keep coming back, you know, cause like I have, like I, I have like a peace and like serenity some days, not all days, obviously, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but life still happens. But like, I, uh, I have like a peace about me that like I never had even before I found drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So that's why I keep coming back, you know, the ratio to good to bad days is definitely much better. Yeah. So I completely agree with that. Um, and I agree. It's like, I was talking with my general manager and he was like, I was like, oh, I got to do this stuff for the program or whatever. And he's like, do you get paid to do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't get paid at all, you know? Um, but I feel like I have to, um, cause it's a responsibility. And he's like, you know, you would never know that you were fucking homeless, like shooting up meth behind dumpsters, you know what I mean? Like X amount of time ago. And I feel like that's super cool. Right. It's like a lot of people who first meet me have no idea that I was just like the scummiest junkie that you could ever meet, you know? I still so. see it. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Don't you worry. see me for who I really am. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to let you guys know that I, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> the junkie in me yeah. sees the junkie in you. Yeah. Namaste. <laughs> right on. I was going to say, I, I didn't want... Are you going to edit this out? Son of a bitch. Yeah. Okay. Well, you better come up with something else to talk about. I've got it. Uh, so <laughs> what was uh, your first experience with drugs? Like, do you remember the first time you ever drank or yes. like smoked weed? You want to talk about yes. that? Um, so I was actually kind of like a late bloomer. Like I am, I would consider myself a, I like a lot of social anxiety. I never really like fit in super well. So like I, my first experience with drugs was, uh, I was 17 years old. And for whatever reason, like my, one of my few friends had like a bag of mushrooms and he's like, and he's like, well, this is what we're doing tonight. And I was like, okay. So like, I did have like one of those like first, like literal spiritual experiences. Like, cause I was, I think I had like, you know, like I'm a product of the, the dare system, you know, like I we got, all that, are. I got, all I, age group, dude. I know we're all similar <laughs> ages. I felt you guys. Could relate. And like, for whatever reason, like that stuck with me. Like I didn't want to be like that, you know, like I thought the drugs were this really like dangerous thing that like only losers did. So like when the, but like once those barriers were broken and I had that first experience, like it was like a race. Yeah. A race to do as many different drugs as quickly as possible. Yeah. So, so I, like I, I personally can understand like where you're coming from with that, but like also, uh, like concerning psilocybin in general, like they are doing a lot of like, <laughs> like studies right now with no, like yeah. it and depression and depression and stuff. And MDMA, MDMA as well. And ketamine, dude. Yeah. You know, people are showing ketamine and it's doctor prescribed, dude. It's <laughs> the dubious luxury of normal. <laughs> yeah. Dubious is the yeah. 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 that. But sure. like, but like, I, I, sometimes I'm envious, you know, because 100%. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, huh, 
this guy's gonna get a psilocybin prescription in a year or two and uh, here I, <laughs> I I don't think I don't think it's like that. I think like the from what I understand of psilocybin and like MDMA treatment is like they're microdose microdoses first yeah. off. So yeah. like it's, none it's, of us are really on board with that, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And second, like it's done like there has to be like an issuing therapist there yeah. the, for yeah. like the entire experience like, so it's like, right. like you're in a psych ward no yeah. i know like, you're, not, sure. you're not you're not doing it in ecstasy. your room for sure like black lights and pink floyd on you know but like, i just you know sometimes <laughs> i'm just like oh it could be legal one day to meet the machine elves you know so me and my buddies actually like we we grew up in texas i grew up in texas and for whatever reason like we can never find DMT, right? There's a lot of cow farms out there. DMT doesn't oh, come from cow sorry. farms. Sorry, we were on mushrooms, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I well, never, I, DMT I is like DMT. a pretty unique experience with like the machine elves where like there are like yeah. thousands and thousands of documented cases where like people all experiencing yeah, seeing this, well, like the same beings. Your body and one of the names for the machine elves. Yeah, your body produces it naturally in your pineal gland. Yeah. Well, I've, I've never done DMT and sometimes I think about that I want to do DMT. Yeah. You know Me too, I mean? all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually pretty... What we found out pretty quickly is it's actually pretty easy to make yourself, which is like what we ended up having to do. Cause like we were like, you know, that was like kind of, we were those kind of like crunchy, like drug addicts that like always were looking for like that psychedelic experience. So you know, like you, you found a way for you, you to make your body release. No, no, no. no you can make it you from can, a plant. You, you just can buy make it. Yeah, plants it's at the grocery store. It's like super, super easy to make. Yeah. Wait, okay. Not that I'm condoning this. Explain the process but... just for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so mimosa hostilis bark, like DMT, like is in a lot of different plants. Yeah, it's in are secret, secreted by humans. You know, like it, it has like a lot of uh, bioavailabilities like all over the place. So I believe it was the mimosa hostilis bark you grind it up like with like a coffee grinder until like it's a powder you boil it in water strain the water or strain the boiled water into mason jars through like coffee filters throw it in your freezer overnight and crystals will start to form like at the top like through the condensation and it's a lot you, of work you can ship those crystals away and that will get you dmt that's like anywhere from like I don't know, like 30 to like 60% pure. Mm, And then there's like a couple different like chemical adhesives that you can buy like legally. Yeah. Like you can then purify it like into like the 90% range. So we used to do that. So how was your DMT trip? Oh, I love DMT. Did you meet the machine elves? I never had a, I never had a machine elves experience where like I remember speaking to like other beings, but like, yeah, well, I also like never I've done all I've done everything right and like never had like a full on hallucination before until yeah. I did DMT. And then it's like you close your eyes and it's like you're on a different planet, you know, it's like colors and like, yeah, like synchronous moving shapes like that sort of thing. And yeah, you're I've, I've you, had one full on hallucination. And I think the other one was more like mental. Yeah. Like, I, it was definitely caused from lack of sleep. Yeah. It was like 12 days in and we're camping up in the woods and this fucking like figure emerged out of the fire. I, I would, I had a, like later in the, later in my story, like I had an experience with MDMA that was pretty similar where like I was like driving home and it was like, I was like probably three or four days, like no sleep. And like the the road w- became like very very vibrantly animated. <laughs> Keep driving. Like the, yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Just stay between those fucking yeah, lines, yeah, yeah, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a Mickey Mouse cartoon. Like the, the signs were like bobbing up and down and had like arms and legs and were dancing and stuff. Yeah. That's insane. Do you ever wonder if like that's where like the inspiration for some of that shit comes from? Yeah. I think about it all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> 
I've only had one like hallucination, and it was a paranoid delusion. So I thought a helicopter was yeah. chasing after me. Those are no fun. Yeah, no, those are those terrible. aren't those aren't as much terrible. fun. I've only microdosed acid once, but every trip that I've had on shrooms was amazing. So yeah. I've never had a bad trip on shrooms. I've never, I was also I'm also in that camp of I've never had a bad trip before. But I also like I never I never really dipped. So like I've I've done the like the. Like amphetamines and stuff, like all sorts of different amphetamines that like cause those sort of like paranoid delusions. Mm. But like, I never really liked it enough. You know, like if given the choice, like I'd rather spend my money on like coke or heroin. Yeah, I mean, the paranoid delusions were just like a side effect of me slamming like a syrup shot of meth into my veins yeah. and like coming in my pants. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like that. Like, and then staying up was also a side effect of that. And then five days in, I'm running from imaginary police and thinking a helicopter is chasing after me. You know what I mean? I just always like downers more, man. Like I, because I by the time I I try meth like I was already an IV user so like of course I was shooting it up and I wouldn't get the euphoria that you're talking about like mm. the coming in your pants euphoria but like I would not be able to sleep for three to four <laughs> days at a time didn't matter how many downers I put in my system to combat it I could never sleep so like after a couple experiences like that you're like all right I'll just stick to I, I'll just stick to the coke and the dope <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny how like uh even though we're we're all junkies. Like we've got like, we still have like different like tastes. Like yeah. I did not like shooting up heroin or opiates by itself. Like I would, really? I would either smoke it or do a speedball. Like yeah. that was like the only way. Cause whenever I shot heroin, I always just puked and like got really sick. Really? And I thought it was like too intense for me. Yeah. You, know you gotta I mean? push through that. I didn't know I was high unless I puked. Push through that. Uh, but I also like speedballs a lot too. Um, yeah. So we, I never really did like a real speedball. It really? was never with cocaine. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a, that's a like a euphoria right there. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> like the, where you like, that you see it, it go, you do, you do it or whatever. And then it's like within 15 seconds, yeah. like the urge to vomit is so like overwhelming that like you often don't make it to the toilet. I used to actually only do it outside so that like, if I had to, like I could just throw right up. <laughs> Sick. I used to like, I had a, I had a window on the bottom on like the first floor and like, I would just open the window and like sit there on the windowsill and do it. So like, if I had to, I would just, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Awesome. I hope your mom doesn't listen to this. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure she's probably has has her suspicions. Yeah. She's just like out there watering the plants. She's just like. Oh, uh, <laughs> There's just like a yeah, stain my, on the side of the building. My you know? my poor parents. Dude. <laughs> Same. So now that we're done glorifying drugs, yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> um. So I, if you want to talk about this, you can. I uh, I do know that you have uh, some experience with like very close friends of yours dying in your arms. Do you want to? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I I don't. I I mean, what's the ex- my? So I have two experiences actually where very close friends of mine like died while I was present, or like very closely, like very in very close proximity to me being present. And, you know, like I've made, I've made amends to their families and that was a difficult experience. One was positive, one was neg. I mean, negative. They just didn't want anything to do with me, like rightfully so afterwards. Um, but I mean, the, the amends that I make to both of those friends is that like, I have to share that experience with other addicts and alcoholics so that like their story can have some sort of like meaning to other people. Yeah. The bad one was really bad. I, I had a friend. Hey, um, we were using together for whatever reason. I think I was allowed back in my parents' place at that time. I don't think I was living there, but like my parents were out of town. So of course I was there, (laughs) you know, and we were getting loaded. We were doing a lot of coke, actually. And for whatever reason, at the end of the night, like, he he was big. In, he did a lot of oxy, but, like, never had done heroin before. 
And I actually believe that I was on the Vivitrol shot at the time, so I couldn't physically get high. Or it was very difficult to physically get high. <laughs> you really high. had to push the boundary there. Just yeah. I don't know, like, I, I don't even know if you can overload it. Like, I think you can in, like, the very beginning or the very end, like, if you're on the tail end of, like, yeah. that 28-day window or whatever, but, like, not exactly a very economical solution either, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's super expensive, and any junkie is going to try to get high. Like, yeah. you, you tell me I can't get high, I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to try anyways, yeah. you know what I mean? And he, uh, for whatever reason, he was like, the guy that I was getting the coke from is also my my old heroin dealer. So he was like, get this too. And I was like, okay. And then I go, I, I come, I go and get it and come back to my parents' house. And like, he has everything like already set up. He's got the needle. He's got the syringe, you know? So he's like, I've never done this before. I want you to do this for me. And I was like, because like he knew my story, obviously. Right. Like I was on a Vivitrol shot at the time, you know, <laughs> you don't get onto a Vivitrol shot for no reason. So I, uh, I did it, you know, like I wasn't really thinking clearly. I wasn't in a good place, obviously, like I'd been doing coke all night and I, uh, I did it and he's like a bigger dude. So like, I guess it wasn't like the normal experience when someone overdoses where it's like, you know, immediately like eyes roll back in their head. They can't maintain consciousness. It wasn't like that. Like we got out, we walked, we walked out of the bathroom. I went to a room to go hang out with like my sister or like, I think my girlfriend at the time was over there. And after about 15 or 20 minutes, I realized that like, he didn't follow me in. Like I hadn't seen him since. So like I go around the house looking for him. I can't find him. I go outside eventually and find him like passed out on like right by his car. And like, he had like a big gash on his head. So it was like pretty clear that like he fell and hit his head on the way down. And for whatever reason, um, Cause like I've had those experiences where like you like have to breathe for people like at least they, they turn blue and they turn purple. But if like you can keep oxygen flowing through them, like eventually they regain consciousness for whatever reason, this felt different. So like I, I, I called my brother actually, cause my brother was there. He was just like upstairs in his room with his friend. And I was like, call the paramedics right now. I sit there like I, I try, uh, he was face down, so I rolled him over, which was very difficult because he was a lot bigger than I was. And, uh, do the same things that I normally do pull the vomit out of his throat because he had vomited and breathe and tried to breathe for him. And, uh, paramedics get there. And of course, you know, like I'm in, I'm in it. Like I'm in my disease. So, like, I lied to him. Yeah. You know, like I lied to him, had no, told him what, told him what I thought he had done, but like beyond that, lied to him. Um, cops eventually came, paramedics drive off, cops are grilling us, you know, lie to the cops. And then like after like 30 minutes of them doing like their cop thing where they separate us and they're going back and forth to get information from different people to see if the story matches up. Um, and like I'm asking the whole time, like, how is he? How is he? Have you heard anything? How is he? He, uh, they eventually, after like 45 minutes or an hour, I don't know how exactly how long it been, but it was a while. Um, they let me know that he passed away in the ambulance. He like coded by the time he was like in the hospital. So that one was, you know, like I, yeah, I have, I don't want to say like, I have a lot of guilt and shame. Cause like, obviously, I mean, like I've done a lot of work around it, you know, like, but I'm, is at much peace with the experiences I think I can be mm. like it. It probably, that's like one of those experiences that will like stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Wow. What, did, what did that amends look like? <sighs> Um, so obviously like his parents got in contact with me afterwards and I told them the same story that like I told the police, right? you know, you had no idea what he was doing, what happened, you know, like, and, uh, you know, like I helped him, I helped his parents pack up his stuff, like from the house that he was living in and, uh, same thing, you know? And then I think I... That was pretty close to, like, the end of my journey. Right. The end of my journey, like, getting high. So, like, I, I checked my... I got... I, uh, 
I got, I ended up getting sober. I went to a treatment facility and, um, with about, I don't know, it was probably like a year and a half. I finally got like sober. I got around to making that amends and it was difficult. Like it was me telling them like that I'd been dishonest, that, um, this is what actually happened. Um, asking if there's anything I could do to make it right. And I didn't like know his family very well. So like their response was like, we want nothing to fucking do with you essentially. Right. Which was, you know, like, I think that's obviously like not why we make amends, right. but like, I think we, I know that I still go into all, all, most amends being like, I really hope that this goes well, you know, that, they, yeah. that they're like receptive of like what I'm trying to do. And you know, cause like I'm selfish, but that was one of the ones, like the clear ones where it's like, they wanted nothing to do with me. And like, that's the best thing that I can do for them is right. like to stay out of their lives. It was, uh, it was difficult though. Did you try to do that one in person? No, right? No, yeah. no. I was living out here. So like that, and like that allowed me to kind of drag my feet with it for a while. Cause like, obviously that probably should have been one of the first ones that I made. Right. But no, like, I don't even think they, his parents, like, so he was living in Texas. His parents are originally from Texas, but like, his, I think his mom, his mom moved to the East Coast and like his dad lived like really, really South Texas, which like Texas is huge. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. I would have, yeah, it would have been a difficult. And like, I wasn't, I don't know, you know, like it, it just wasn't one of the ones that me and my sponsor was like, Hey, you should make this one in person. Just, you have to make it directly over the phone, but like, don't. I right. wouldn't, I wouldn't do it in per, like physically in person. Mm. So the other one, if you want me to get to the other one, if that's like a, if that, if that is enough doom and gloom, I have another one too though. So I, I just, whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah. So the other one was my really, really close friend. Like we were, we, we were friends for like 10 plus years, you know, like we did all sorts of things together. Um, but so yeah, I think our, our like addictions naturally evolved independent of one another, but like, so like we'd always come back into each other's lives at like the most unopportune time and be like, Oh, you're doing that too. Me too. Let's do that together. You know, like it was like one of those situations. Like we used to like smoke weed and do like a lot of like psychedelics and party drugs together all the time. But like we'd had like gaps of like where we weren't very close and then like came back and it's like, we were still, it was like always one of those things where like, Oh, you're doing, you're doing coke now. Oh, you're doing heroin now. Like, cool. Me too. You know, like, so I think that is like a good, cause like that is an, like, honestly what happened. Like we, uh, she had gotten married and I don't think her, she was very happy in her marriage. Um, and she called me on a bad day. I was sober at the time, but wasn't very happy in sobriety because I wasn't doing any of the work. And I was like right at that 28-day mark on the Vivitrol shot. <laughs> that beautiful, beautiful <laughs> place where like I knew that like I could do it. And she's like, this is what I want to do. You know, like, can you call this guy and get it? And like, we can hang out tonight and catch up and do this together. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. You know? Um, so I, I come over, we do it. And honestly, that was another strange experience because this one I wasn't physically present for. Like I obviously bought the dope and brought it to her, but, um, like we talked and we caught up and like, we made plans to call, like hang out the next day. And like, I leave thinking everything's fine, go to work the next day, thinking everything's fine. And then I get a call from my mom, at, like when I'm on my way home from work at like four o'clock and she was so close that like, she was very close with my family as well. My mom was like, just sobbing, like screaming at me, like, what did you do? You know? And I'm like, I had no idea what she was talking about. And then she's like, ex so-and-so died. And I was like, in shock, I guess, you know, like I, from what I've been able to piece together since then, I think she had like all sorts of prescriptions at the time. Cause like doctor shopping was like also our shared experience, like where we would get amphetamines and benzos and opiates and like either do them or sell them to support our addictions. 
And I knew that she did that too because we went to some of the same doctors. And uh, my, I think she probably mixed it with a benzo later that night. And her husband at the time didn't know what to do and was too scared or too incoherent to call the ambulance. And she died in her sleep, like around like eight o'clock in the morning or something like that. Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. The only... One of the, one of my most powerful experiences in recovery was I was working with this guy. I was like two years sober and I shared that with him before he did his four step. And I like had that experience of like disarming someone who had done something very, very similar. And like that was one of the most powerful experiences for me because like that was like the, first real indicator, maybe not the first real indicator, but like a real significant indicator that like I was right where I was supposed to be doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing, which is also like why I, I want to work in the field. You know, like my, my, I want to get my master's. I want to be a clinical social worker. I want to work in the field of addiction. Like I want to deepen my, uh, my ability to be of service to other addicts and alcoholics. Yeah. Well, it's a great plan. Um, I don't see there being a lack of drug addicts anytime soon. No, unfortunately, opioid overdoses have only gone up. So Yeah. And didn't they replace car accidents and heart disease as like the leading cause of death for people like under the age of 50? Yeah. And you Are you know, serious? Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was like last year or the year before that I feel like I heard that. Yeah. It's, uh, quarantine didn't help anybody, you know what I mean? No. You get on unemployment and it's really easy to feed your drug habit, you know, because um, then you don't even have to go to work. So. I know. Do you have to have a job before all of that to get unemployment? Yeah, so okay. it's... You had to have a job or at least like a job within pretty close proximity. Like yeah. I heard, I had, I knew a lot of people that were able to kind of like juke juke the system like saying that they left their job because of covid related yeah. instances like, like you could say that you have a family member that's high risk or like you need to stay home because you have kids yeah. and their school's canceled and then you qualify for pandemic relief yeah but yeah it's definitely it's it's the other and it's funny because we we all know about it like I, I don't think that there's probably a single person in the states that hasn't been affected by addiction in some shape or another you know um it, but like it still isn't like widely talked about in the right way i feel like so yeah damn it that was gloom <laughs> i know dude you I, brought it up man i know i wanted to hear about it but i'm <laughs> usually i'm emotionally detached no no yeah. i think it's like the first time i've actually like paid attention to that part like i've heard it before you know what i mean yeah. but like it's it's not my experience, so like I don't really like nobody close to me has died from opiates, and I'm really blessed. But I know that uh, the statistics say somebody close to me is gonna die because a bunch of my friends are junkies. You know what I mean? And so yeah, uh, most of your friends I think are sober junkies now. You know? Yeah, and I don't think that's entirely true. We'll we'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. um, but I do know that you know somebody that died. Well, I, I know people that have died yeah. that I used to do drugs with, yeah. for sure. But I mean, like, out of, like, you or, like, Brandon, people that I've known for, like, 10, 15 years, you know what I mean, that are close friends with me, yeah. nobody really has, has passed away yeah. that I can remember right now. You know what yeah. I mean? I've, I've definitely had people that have died that I've been friends with that has affected me in a negative way, but I was already sober. You know what I mean? Like, I... When I was, you know, like there was maybe like one person I can think of that was kind of close to me that died, not because of an overdose, but because of a car accident involving drugs, you know what I mean? And oh. that affected me like kind of negatively when I was using, you know what I mean? Yeah. But now I'm like, I'm sober and I kind of like have the tools I need to like deal with that shit or have accepted that like my life is going to have really bright spots, but also really dark spots um, and like dark spots that normal people wouldn't have to deal with just because I am an addict and in recovery. You know what I mean? It's like people die all the fucking time. And that's just like a, a matter of fact for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just part of the life. So 
Still a blessing, though, man. Because, I mean, I I go home to visit family and stuff now, and it's like either most of the people that I ran around with are either dead in jail or like they rightfully like want nothing to do with me you know like i don't i don't have that friend group that like i used with and like you you guys like have don't lump me in with him it is really cool though because like you guys have lots of friends that you physically got high with that are like in the same place that you are right now like trying to do the thing like getting sober like living productive lives, you know, and like, I think that, I think that like, is not a lot of people, it's not my story, you know, like that's not my experience. No, I tell my dad to suck it every time I see him because he was like talking shit to me when I was like in high school and he's like, none of your friends are going to be around, like, just like support you when you're older and like, fuck you dad, you're wrong, you know what I mean? Um, And like the best way possible. Right. Like he was trying to look out for me and it's really cool that he was wrong. You know what I mean? I'm sure he's glad at some degree that he was wrong about that being the case, you know, but yeah, no, it is a, it is a blessing. You know what I mean? Like when I wanted to get sober, I called up somebody who I thought was a worse junkie than, than I was when we were using and he was sober and had multiple years, you know what I mean? And like, I never thought that would be the case. So, um, super blessed and I hope it stays that way. Um, it's like the thing about being in recovery is like, uh, I'm, not ever surprised by someone going out, you know what I mean? But it still affects me in a, in a, in a certain type of way. Right. It's like, it could easily just be as, just be me, you know, who yeah. goes out. So. so speaking of parents, actually, one thing I've noticed that's really cool about, uh, your family is they've been like really accepting of like the new friends and new like circles you have. I mean, they hosted a Thanksgiving for everybody. Yeah. My parents are, I don't, yeah, my parents are, I can't say enough good things about my parents. Yes. Especially, like, coming from the experience that, like, me and then my younger brother went through, like, they drew the genetic lottery card, not once, but twice. (laughs) Out of their four children, two of them put them through the fucking ringer. Yeah, no, but, like, they're amazing. Like, they're the happiest people that I know. They're, like, still married after... A while. I honestly don't know, but it's a really long time. (laughs) And, like, they're super close. We have, like, a super, super close relationship that I definitely didn't used to always have because, like, I was the one constantly fucking it up all the time. And they, uh, they get it, too. Which, like, I feel like a lot of parents don't get it. And even, like, my parents, like, probably didn't get it at first. But, like, you know, like, I've been... I put them through... Honestly, I lo- I mean, like, I've lost count of, like, the amount of times I've been arrested or the amount of treatment centers that I've been to, but it's over 10. Yeah. And so, like, they, I don't think they got it at first, but, like, as I put them through more experiences and, like, oh, hey, no, like, our son can't just, like, drink or smoke weed right. casually, you know? Like, uh, one, I, I think, like, ha- having done those, having them having those experiences, like, it made it a lot more difficult for my brother to fuck around if there's any silver lining, but... Yeah, I have that experience, too. It was, like, when my brother, like, ran away from home when he was 17, my mom called me, and she was like, what what, what do I do? You know what I mean? And I'm like, well, I'll get a hold of him, you know? Yeah. And uh, my parents were the same way, too. Like, I was able to put the drinking and, like, I can drink and smoke weed card for them for a while. Yeah, so was I. And, uh, And then eventually... I, when I was like serious about being sober, yeah. I told them, I was like, no, I just can't do anything yeah. forever. And like, that's fine. It's a strange, <laughs> it's a strange experience, right? Like just like consistently lowering the bar so low that yeah. I like, whatever, like he, he's, I think he's holding down a job. He's not doing heroin anymore. I see the track marks on his arm. Right. So like, whatever, if he wants to drink and smoke, like that's great. He's alive. Yeah. You know, like that was yeah. the measure of success was like, is he alive? Right. Is he alive? Is he in contact <laughs> with me on a regular basis? He's breathing races? today. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, so I don't know. I, I think by the time I was 26 and like, you know, I wasn't living at home. Like I wasn't allowed over there anymore. But like when my brother's addiction like really started to blossom, 
Like, they were like, no more, you know, 30 days, no more fucking bullshit. Like, if you're going away and you're going away for a long time, like, <laughs> so, so that, like, you actually might have a shot of, like, getting this, you right. know? So I guess if they're, suck for Chris, but if there's any, <laughs> if there's any, like, silver lining there, is that, like, my, or, like, any, yeah, good, good to my experience of putting my parents through bad. It was that, like, they learned a lot of lessons really quickly. Yeah. Well, and, and he's sober, you know, and which is another thing that's not very common. Yeah. That's, that's a person you used with that's sober. Yeah. Our stories actually, don't, like, they don't overlap a lot, but, like, there were some pretty dark periods in my, in my story where, like, there towards the tail end where we were getting high together, which, you know, like obviously is really shitty. Yeah. Like he's my, he's my, my brother's six years younger than I am. There's no reason for us to ever hang out in the same friend circles, <laughs> you know, yeah. but like we did cross paths a lot because of our, our, the way that we both like to use. But yeah, I mean, Chris, uh, Chris actually got sober before I did. Like he came out to Arizona first. I came out around a year after him and Chris had a slip, but like I was able to like be there and support him through that slip, which was like also really powerful for me. Cause like I was able to like tell my parents, like, you don't have to worry. Like, I'll, like me and me and the people that are close to him, like got this, like we'll, yeah. get, we'll get him back into the right place. Yeah, I remember. Or help him get there. That happened. And that's, that's crazy that Chris was here first because for some reason that's not how it feels in my memory. But yeah. I don't know if just because we we're have, closer. Yeah, we're closer and yeah. have like similar interests and grew up in the same decade, kind of. <laughs> so. Yeah. But look at him now, dude. Yeah. He, uh, he'll have three years in September. It's been that long already. I know. What the fuck? I know. <laughs> but like, I think he. And then, like, I fought, but like, I followed him out here. So, like, he still had that experience of like, uh, trailblazing through like the, yeah. the program that we both ended up into, the program that I work for right now, or that we both work for right now, which it is a good program. You know, like, yeah. I get, I get fucking in my head and like, I get fucking angry and resentful because like, they're also my employer now and they like expect a lot of me, which is like a good thing. Right. But like, it is, it is really a good program because like it got, it helped me get to like where I am today. It helped him get to where he is today. Yeah. Helps a lot of guys. I like to talk a lot of shit, even though I shouldn't about, uh, you know, that program and like the management aspect of it, you know, um, just because I know I have a lot of friends who've like worked for them, been through there. And so I hear their shared experiences. And so I kind of like imitate their opinions and like, you know, but that being said, I have seen it have a lot of success with a lot of people. You know what I mean? Um, maybe not as much as anybody would like, but no program is going to have a hundred percent success rate. But yeah, but I mean, they're they're Like I've worked there for a long time now and like, I'm a big part of it. And I mean, their success is tremendously higher than the national average, yeah. like close in the 30% on an average year, which is like, when the national average is like one or two percent, like yeah, they're still doing all right. they're still doing yeah they're exactly. still doing a good job at what they do, so yeah. something's working, you know. No, yeah. I can I see I see I see it work right, and so whatever it may be a human program and it may have its flaws, but like it still helps produce miracles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So because. Um, there's a lot of you guys that were in the, around the same time that I moved to flag and you guys are still around, you know what I mean? So that speaks for itself. So, yep. And it's addiction is such a funny thing, right? Like there, cause there is no universal right way to do it. No. You know, like what works, the same thing that works for one person might not work for the person sitting next to him in the room, you know? So it's like a really funny and difficult thing to like, you know, like try and help people, overcome right and that's why you know like the treatment industry is super saturated with like all sorts of different programs trying different things there's you know like outdoor there's cognitive behavioral there's uh recovery communities there's 12-step base like there's literally like hundreds and hundreds of different things that like they try and throw at the wall hoping that some of it's going to stick for these people it really does works for us dude we're here we are. Um, 
when I when I first when I first got here, there was always like that uh that like thing, you know, you'd go to a meeting and then like Oh, there's the those guys. Yeah, from well, there, you know, we were like the <laughs> where Flagstaff is like. It's actually not a very small community. It feels like it is, but like yeah, no, there's thousands of people up here. It's like sixty, like well, sixty. Plus. I mean, I was talking about in the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, we're also like one of two to three treatment houses in town. So it's like when the van rolls up, yeah, like we have a certain look to us, right? Yeah. <laughs> At first, it was like, oh, those are the rich kids. Yeah, the, ri- yeah. the rich, yeah. entitled kids, yeah. the kids that don't want to be here, that aren't going to yeah. take this thing seriously, which I think is a generalization can be true. It's yeah. not yeah. always true. And, like, even when it is true, like, there, I think there's always individuals that are, like, pretty serious about wanting to get these, get it done. You know, like, my experience was I was 29 years old trying to get sober. And, like, the story that got me here this time, and it's not, like, a unique story. Like, it's uh, it's something that I personally had experienced several times. Like, I I woke up in the hospital. I had to spend two weeks in the hospital because my I was in such bad shape physically that, like, my organs were shutting down one by one and going septic. And uh, after two weeks there, I had to spend another three weeks in a detox to physically get tapered off benzos because I had thrown that into the mix at that point. Um, And then I did a year of treatment after that, you know, but like I had that experience of like, from my own perspective, like this was, I was going to try this thing one more time. I didn't actually think it was going to work. And if I didn't, if it didn't work, then like I would go off and kill myself. So, I mean, like I was ready. It worked. Me too. <laughs> Me too. But like I was ready, right? Like I I was at that place of like desperation, that jumping off point that like I'd been at before in my life. Um, but like I was willing this time to do whatever one around me suggested. Yeah. And like that I think was the thing that was different that like made it work this time. Like I was willing to do all the things that didn't make any sense to me. To like my own sick, insane head. Um, I think the point where I like looked at the guys in your treatment center and I was like, okay, they're actually mostly just like me, right? Yeah. It's like I remember being asked to go speak at one of the houses and I go there and I speak and I share my story and I, sh- I share a part of it that's like pretty uh, – that I don't share a lot anymore just because of the people that involves and uh, – one of the guys who was just like super fresh in there was like, Hey, I did that same shit. And like now me and him are pretty close friends. And I was like, fuck dude. Like, I actually remember that. Yeah. I think I was in transition at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely spoke at residential. I, I know, but like I was there at that meeting. Yeah. I remember that Justin brought you. In. Yeah. 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 That's correct. And, uh, and I remember one is being like that one part that like super traumatized me that I still like hold on to a little bit, like wasn't so special. Right. And yeah. then two is that like one of these people who I seem like were well off that I couldn't like get along with because we were, we were too different and it just wasn't true. So I used to have like a resentment against everybody there. Yeah. And then, you know, my sponsor highly suggested that I sponsor people from there. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. We are not unique. No. And we need to put ourselves into inconvenient places to, like, be of service to other people. We all got to do the same stuff. I hate that so much. I know. <laughs> but, like, when we do it, like, things go really well in our lives. And I right. think we have – I've had these experiences where I'm like, this person isn't that different for me. Yeah. Like, regardless of whatever, like, preconceived judgment I had about them, like, this person is exactly just like me. Yeah. Because there are other pl- places in town that I think – uh, I had those same kind of like judgments from just like from a different lens, you know, like guys that, uh, that have been through like the foundation house that were like on reentry from prison, you know, right. like, like I think yeah. on the other end of the spectrum is like that. And like, I think those, those same sort of like, no, like, you know, like judgments are like pretty, pretty common for like that group of guys too, that like come through there too. But like some of them, I have very, very close friends that are still in my life today that have like tremendously helped me in my own recovery because like I was able to 
you know, put those judgments aside, like at least temporarily, like through that act of service or through that them like being of service to me. And, right. you know, like these beautiful experiences happen because of it. What's ironic is I don't think that experience is like, uh, is like isolated to people in recovery. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like we true. all have like preconceived notions of like who people are just by like where they look or where they come from, what school they went to, all this stuff. But like really when we like, those are just made up, you know what I mean? Like people are just people and they have everyday experiences that we all probably share. So you judge people. Yeah. Everybody wow. just loves it. Needs to love everybody. <laughs> ELE. Yeah. It'll never happen. As, as much as I'm sorry. It'll never happen. Yeah. I don't mean to be a pessimist, but for sure. But it's a good mantra to live by. It is. Right. I it try is. I don't always get there, but I, I try to live by it in my own life today. And I'm as judgmental and as stubborn as they come. So Yeah. Look, when everything's an inconvenience, you're inconvenienced all the time. That's where I'm at right now. So it doesn't matter. I just do it, you know? I'm like, still think you should do more. <laughs> yeah. Probably. You should still probably, probably be doing yeah. more. Yeah. The, the most we can on. do for him right yeah. now is pray for him. Yeah. So. I do. Why I do you guys say that, dude? <laughs> I do. I have a beautiful life and I'm grateful. You do, man. Yeah. I could do more. You're right. I'm doing this. That's it's true. not completely selfish. Just the title is selfish. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Richard Campbell show. <laughs> it's not show. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> podcast. I'm trying to get him to change it. Yeah. It's, st- it's still the Richard Campbell show. Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm the Richie show. All about Richie. I'm, I'm open to acceptable compromises. <laughs> the title. Okay. Yeah. Just not want to. John hasn't come up with one yet. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's whatever suggestion I have. He still thinks that his it's name better. is better than <laughs> whatever so I have. I said selfish, dude. What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else. Do you? No, but like, I mean, so if the Richard Campbell podcast kind of, it's, it's a selfish name for sure. 100%. But like. Here comes the justification. Yeah. Here, here comes. Here comes the but. <laughs> I mean, if somebody listens to it and decides to go to a meeting or, you know, gets, takes some action to get some form of help, like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, I think having conversations is how we change minds. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just came to show, I just showed up for two of my homies, but I mean that you're right. Like I, I don't share this experience because I share this experience for my own experience freely with anyone and hopes that like. Maybe that uh, that experience will be the thing that like brings them to recovery. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a roller coaster this episode has been. Yeah, you kind of took it there on a downer, didn't you, Richie? Well, I think we ended on a high note, man. But like, it was like up high with like the glorifying of like hallucinogens and like DMT to like got us yeah real down low. You know what I mean? And then we, I think we ended on up note. It was a good life is an emotional roller coaster. Okay, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no problem. Uh, will you do me a favor now? Depends. I, it was going to be a joke, dude. Okay, go ahead. I ruined it. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> do you think your work will advertise? Will pay me for advertisements? <laughs> oh shit. Ah, uh, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> no. I it was don't. a joke. I really don't want to do advertisements, but yeah. I had it all planned in my head. It was going to be a funny one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that is where the money is. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta have sponsors. Uh, you know. Well, uh, speaking of advertisements, click on the donate button at the bottom <laughs> of the link. Uh, all proceeds go to helping the podcast. So thank you. Yeah, that's all I got. You guys got anything else? No. Joe, thank you for doing this. I'm, I'm eternally grateful. That was fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, even just in life, not for just doing the podcast. I love you, dude. Love oh, you, too. Man. All right. I love you too, John. But you guys are all right. Yeah, you're more like the the stepbrother that I kind of like. Not just kidding. <laughs> all right, and we're out.